I strike two on my way down. Donatello takes out a third with his staff. Already the pudgy ones are starting to panic. Raph loves this stuff. He's not alone. Why is he narrating? Is he crazy? Hardcore crazy. I love these guys! Hello, we're Bloopcast. I'm Ewan. I'm Rob. And I'm James. But the question is, why are we called the Bloopcast? Yeah! Yeah! Awesome! Yes, dudes and dudettes, Major League Butt Kicking is back in town! Oh yeah! Okay, so before we get started, just something I want to get out of the way. We have been doing this podcast for um, about a year now. Mm. Um, at, well, at least at the time we're recording this. So I want to say to everyone who has taken the time to listen to any of our episodes, thank you very much, and we hope you stick with us for future episodes. Yeah. We were born in the hells of 2020 and came out strong and powerful in a year. We we are the we are the rising phoenix. We literally did because we recorded our first episode during a heat wave. Oh yeah, I remember. I was literally passing out throughout all of it. It was brilliant. I remember it well. We were in a sewer, and then a glass canister fell on our heads, and it was oh, horrific. Yeah. And then within several days, we had grown to incredible sizes, and then we became turtles. We were trained by a rat master. And that ties into <laughs> what we're discussing today. We're discussing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, specifically the original comic book series. That started it all because while the Turtles exploded in popularity in the late 80s with the goofier, kid-friendly cartoon, the series actually began with a darker, crittier comic book series, which was intended to be a one-off homage slash parody of some of the most popular comics at the time, namely Frank Miller's Daredevil, mm. The New Mutants, and Frank Miller's Ronin. The series follows four Turtles mutated by a canister containing a radioactive compound who are trained in the art of ninjutsu by their sensei. A mutated rat named Splinter. Splinter's motivation for training them is so that the turtles can avenge the death of Splinter's former owner, Hamato Yoshi, by killing his killer, the Shredder, the leader of the evil Foot Clan. Yeah. Oh, you... Cowabunga, oh, dude! <laughs> Damn! <laughs> um, yeah, well, as you said, Rob, they started out as basically a Daredevil parody. I mentioned earlier about the canisters falling on our heads. So the original origin of Daredevil is that it's a little kid who like gets hit by like some toxic waste truck or something when he's like trying to rescue like an old guy and then he gets blinded famously and then like develops super sonic hearing powers that make him the blind superhero daredevil mm. so in reference to that it, with t teenage mutant ninja turtles uh, a little boy pushes an old man out of the way of the truck, but instead of uh, of blinding him, the canister bounces off his head and knocks into uh, a little boy's uh, uh, hands, and he's carrying these these four uh, little pet turtles that he'd bought, and it shatters, and they all fall into the sewers together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, so it's, it's like brilliant. an it's like an it's an alternate history to Daredevil. A day that started like any other, but ended changing the course of many lives. I witnessed an accident. A young boy carried a glass jar 
with four pet infant turtles. An old blind man was crossing the street when he was almost run down by a large truck. truck swerved, a metal canister bounced out of the back. It smashed open, releasing a glowing ooze which covered their bodies. Also what's funny is that um, there's um, certain other references to Daredevil like Splinter, who's their mentor, is the pet rat. He's named after Daredevil's mentor, who's called Stick. And the Turtles' arch enemies are the evil Foot Clan, which is um, a parody of um, Daredevil's enemy, the Hand. Yeah. Now, that explains so much because I was wondering for the longest time why the hell is a ninja group called the Foot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just sounded like like they they got the wrong end of the stick. Like everyone else, like pulls the the cool straws out and they get the short straw that just says, "Yeah, you're the Foot now." Have fun <laughs> with that. <laughs> It's it's a good parody of, like, superhero tropes in a way. This idea of a mutagen just turning turtles into superheroes. I think that's why it works so well, because, like, the story, at least the first issue, because it's intended to be a one-off issue, like, one-off comic. It works so well because it takes itself super seriously, but the humour comes from the fact that um, the turtles are trained by a talking rat and this is turtles doing ninja. And the figure of that is it's drawn in the style of Ronin. Also Jack Kirby style sort of artwork. With yeah. Like heavy sort of detail and shades and stuff like that. And, um, and the big flash pages, which um, as comic terminology is when you've got the whole page filled with like one bit of artwork that yeah. kind of like accentuates like a, like a bit of action. There's also like, you know, the big speech bubbles and sound effects like, you know, bang, wow, you know, that sort of thing that Jack Kirby did in the original sort of Silver Surfer comics. Yeah. The whole uh, narrative style of the first volume where it's like so super serious and so like, you know, in- involved in that kind of that s- that story that Rob was explaining at the start. It- it's so clearly aping off of like Frank Miller's like self-seriousness. If anyone's read like batman uh is it batman year one and uh dark knight uh the dark knight returns where batman like had gone he was basically taken from the campy like uh you know holy smokes batman you know it kind of taken from that and put into the kind of more christopher nolan-y batman that we know today where he's like grizzled and angry and miserable that was frank miller who basically like got that ball rolling and so it's really hilarious just seeing that style of narrative but it's it's with ninja turtles <laughs> yeah but what's funny is that the tmnt actually stuff as you say like really serious and quite gritty to the point where it, it's just almost a parody but then it becomes a bit more silly as it goes along and um it does well, right off yeah. i don't know right off i think right off the bat like after like even the, the second story with the mouses is inherently well, silly. I'll just say, like, it just gets a bit more slapstick as it goes along, though. Like, there's a bit more of, like, a sort of cartoonish element. It, become, it realizes what it is a little bit more. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it realized that it had the potential to be, like, very kid friendly. Like, all of us grew up with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in, in some part of our lives. Absolutely. Like, they were there as a kid's property. They're very kid friendly. We'll get onto that because I know for a fact that the UK was not a fan. No, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Yeah. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. 
That's a good kind of train into how I discovered this, basically, because my first encounter was with the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles on VHS. Um, I remember watching this cartoon as a kid and just kind of being a bit confused by it, because it was very silly, um, you know, the characters looked like little inflatable balloons and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but, like, it was a bit of fun, you know, I kind of thought, watched it and that was okay. But then, like, a few years passed and I discovered this thing called the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on Jetix, I think it was at the time, which is like, it's a, you know, the cartoon show that had animes and stuff like that, and a bit more like edgy cartoons on it. Um, and that was the 2003 series, and suddenly it was all dark and all that. Turtles count it I really got into this. I was really obsessed with uh, Michelangelo the turtle and stuff like that. And then I discovered that there was this whole web of things related to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Movies and comics and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, I've only recently kind of discovered the comics recently through Rob. Rob kind of introduced me into the comic series and it's fantastic. And I really want to talk about how much I love it a bit later on. But that's kind of my uh, origin story, my superhero origin story. My super turtle mm. origin story, if you will. Yeah, so I had some kind of vague awareness of Ninja Turtles like, growing when I was like really, really small. Because um, I was born in October 1993, so I missed the initial turtles boom of the, like the late 80s, early 90s by a few years. But I do have flashes of seeing the original cartoon on TV. But I think my first first time I kind of like have, remember having real exposure to it was um, CBBC. I think around 1998 started showing Ninja Turtles: The Next Mutation or Hero Turtles, really titled over here. Mm. And this was a live action show made by Saban, who created Power Rangers, which was infamous for including a fifth female turtle called Venus de Milo. I remember, yeah, I remember watching it at the time, but and that was about it because think after that series, Ninja Turtles was dormant for a couple of years, but around 2003, I came across a VHS tape at my house that my mum owned of the second live action movie, The Secret of the Use, which is the one with the vanilla ice song, Ninja Rat. It's the green machine, gonna rock the town without being seen. Have you ever seen a turtle get down? Slam it and jam it to the And I watched that, I think it was about nine years old, and I fell in love with it. And around that time, I went to my um, primary school fate, and at the toy stand there, I found a micro playset which opened up into, it was, I think, in the shape of Leonardo, and it opened up into the sewer then as a little figure of Michelangelo, a little figure of Bebop, who's one of the bad guys from the cartoon. And the perfect timing behind this is a month or so later, the 2003 Ninja Turtles cartoon started airing over here, so I got in to it just at the right time for this new cartoon to come out. I watched uh, some bits and pieces of the 2003 cartoon over the years and enjoyed what I saw and I also saw the CGI film that came out in 2007 at the cinema when I was 13. I think it was around the time because I remember reading a review of it in Empire magazine that mentioned that the Turtle Side as a comic book which was like a bit darker, a bit grittier. 
and it's something I remember really wanting to check out, but it was one of those things that was not easy to track down at the time. And then things, when I was about 19, so first year of uni, the 2012 cartoon started. I remember I started watching that and getting into it. And also around that time, I started to check out the recent IDW comics. I was really into that, that series, to the extent that I used to wait impatiently for every new trade paperback volume to be released. I would like, pre-order everyone, like, ask for them for like birthdays and Christmas. But how mm. I've discovered the Mirage Turtles, which, like, which is uh, the Ninja Turtles that I'm um, most attached to, is around May 2013, I went to the London MCM Comic Con and there was a stand selling comic books there. And because I had an interest in the Ninja Turtles, I asked the man who was um, right, like selling the comics at the standards if he had any Ninja Turtles comics. And he dug out all the Ninja Turtles comics he had. He had only oh, yeah, four of them, but I bought all of them. One of those was a recent IDW issue. Two of these were tied into the 2003 cartoon, which are published by a company called Dreamwave. The fourth one was one that caught my eye particularly because the cover was a redone version of the very first issue of the original Ninja Turtles comics. And I was like, hmm, wonder what this is. And I took home not knowing what it was. And then I started reading it and I started reading it and I remembered um, the, the dialogue at the start was exactly the same as the first episode of the 2003 cartoon. My name is Leonardo and right now my brothers and I are in a mess of trouble. Our backs are up against the wall in some trash strewn alley, cornered by the toughest street gang on the east side. Look at the freaks! Watch with the dweeby costume! This ain't Halloween. You're going down, freaks! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> Nobody messes with the purple dragons. Especially wearing stupid turtle costumes. He's wrong. We're not wearing costumes. And I kind of started looking through it and I realised it was a colour reprint of the very first issue. And I was amazed because I never thought I'd ever get a chance to read that very first issue. And that was what hooked me in as a fan. And I ended up getting some of the hardback Ultimate Collection books that collected all the Eastman and Laird issues. And I think only last year I managed to get the whole set. So I've got all five um, Ultimate Editions which collect that whole first volume. So at least the issues are done by Eastman and Laird. Mm. Wow, that's good. You know that bit where, like, in the cartoon, in the intro, and Splinter, like, goes from being a human and he turns into a rat guy? Splinter taught them to be ninja teens! He's a rat! That's my entire memory of anything Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle related. Boy, he's in that pink bathrobe. Yeah, that's it. That's my whole story. Wow. That was like literally the first thing you ever saw TMNT related. That just one scene. It's that one awesome scene of a guy turning into a rap thing. And I think I like vaguely remember the intro of the show. But like, I don't even really remember the turtles in it. And then... Uh, I was aware of the Megan Fox film. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. No. I remember um... when that was um, announced. <laughs> oh, no, 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 whoa, whoa, chills. Just a mask. See? Don't freak out. Right? <sighs> yeah, uh, so I saw that. Well, I didn't see it, but I, I heard about it. The the only thing I heard about, aside from that, was that there was like a rhino and a pig guy, and they're called Beepop and uh, Rocksteady. And 
aside from like okay no to be fair i was aware of like the names of the turtles i knew that it was um michelangelo Raphael, donatello and um and uh the other one <laughs> leonardo um and uh and i knew that their rap master was called splinter um and i think i vaguely knew that the the lady who hangs out was called april o'neill yeah um but yeah very vague like uh, you know i i, I a, a friend of mine was annoyed at me yesterday because i didn't know which weapons the turtles used um you know <laughs> some people know some people know exactly which character carries which weapon so i've actually got it written down here to remember <laughs> oh i i don't know i don't you, you, that's out nerding me there even i don't know which weapons they carry really i but... i've got donatello stick uh, Raphael, knife things, Leonardo, katanas, Sorry. and and this Michelangelo my nunchucks. She has my back. <laughs> this is katana. She's got my back. She can cut all you in half with one sword stroke, just like mowing the lawn. Fair enough. <laughs> it means Japanese sword. <laughs> what does katana mean? It means Japanese sword. But yeah. Hey. So, do we want to sort of talk about the uh, comics a bit more and stuff, like the original kind of source material that's kind of booted up the whole shebang, as it were? Yeah, of course. Um, one thing I want to say is how they came up with the idea for the turtles, because it's yeah. quite a funny story. It's basically um, Eastman and Laird, who are the creators, um, they were illustrating one night, and Eastman drew a picture of a Ninja Turtle, and the, the, the pair of them found the idea of a slow, uh, a slow turtle being like a swift ninja hilarious. So then think Laird drew, drew one to try and make a better Ninja Turtle. And eventually it escalated to the point they'd drawn like four turtles with distinct weapons. And one of them had written, like, they called them Ninja Turtles. And then the other one had added the Teenage Mutant part. And they were just pissing themselves laughing, saying, this is like the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. And then they were like, yeah, they should make a comic about them. <laughs> it's funny. But like... Oh, just the whole idea. Do you know what it is? It's like two guys having fun with this unique idea, really. That's what I really love about these comics. You can tell, also just from the notes they've written, that they are having a whale of a time writing this story and writing these characters and drawing them, having these crazy adventures. You know, like, everything that you want from a series, like, like you know, from a comic book series, is there. Aliens and dinosaurs and all sorts, mm. really. Dinosaur aliens. Dinosaur aliens, in fact, and time travel, and like it's it's kind of crazy how one thing does happen to another. Like the turtles' lives are extremely interesting in the point that like one minute being attacked by ninjas, next minute they're going they're getting attacked by aliens, next minute they're going through time. It's like literally one thing after another. It's just like wow. <laughs> they are they are unlimited in what they get to do i think which is really fun like yeah. the the the, con the concept does allow for like just kind of any idea that they want there's an entire comic where um it, it turns out that it's it, it's all set in feudal japan and then it turns out it's just michelangelo just doodling some ideas um oh, love that. that's one of my favorite issues yeah. actually i like that one because um it's kind of like shows that Michelangelo's got like a creative trick. He likes making sto stories. I think that's a really cool character trait. Yeah, Michelangelo's the fun one. Like he he, he likes to just goof about and, oh. and have a have a good old time. Yeah, he's a chilled out one. I liked the um, Donatello issue with Jack Kirby. That was, uh, where Jack Kirby shows up. I thought that was. Oh incredible. yeah, I love that issue. That's one of my favourite ones as well. It's when um, basically um, 
Donatello, he goes down to April's basement where there's this guy who's renting it who's called Kirby. Mm-hmm. And he's found this magic crystal that allows him to draw anything. Well, we can, he can draw anyway, but um, the crystal makes his drawings come to life, basically. And the idea is that um, all of Jack Kirby's creatures are alive in his head. And he's got a portal to this world that he drew where all his creatures everything he's ever drawn is alive and Donatello has an adventure there it's a lot of fun that must be April's new tenant what's he doing how'd he do that what? A green monster? I don't remember drawing you. <laughs> you must... you must be here for your crystal. Look, pal, I was only borrowing it for a while. Just put the stick down. Slow down, friend. I know I must look weird to you, but I'm not here to hurt you. My name is Donatello, and I don't know anything about any crystal. But what I really want to know is how you just did what you did. It wasn't really me. I, I mean, I can draw, sure. Been doing it for years, but it's this crystal. It supplies the magic. What I also love is no. the way that issue came about. At the time, Jack Kirby was having like legal trouble because there's a lot of kind of issues with um, comic book artists not really owning their artwork because it goes to like Marvel or someone. So he was in a lawsuit trying to get mm. all his artwork back. So what um, he's been, I think it was um, Peter Laird's idea actually, he wanted to do an issue where they used Jack Kirby as a character and donated all the profits to his legal fees. Mm. And they actually got in touch with um, Jack Kirby's estate to see if they're allowed to. Then they, they declined the offer of donating legal fees, but they said, yeah, you can use Jack's likeness as a character. Yeah. You did see that in one of the notes um, that uh, that you know, they they would always write little notes and comics uh, and comments throughout the comics, um, and I did notice that one of the things they said was was that they were supporting Kirby during like you know there was like the whole big controversy about various artists not not having the the rights to their own work. So yeah. it was it was very it was very cool to see Laird and, and Eastman basically saying we're on their side, but of course they were. You know, they're they're creators themselves. Yeah, and and you know I think it was really cool that. They were able to exercise the creative freedom that they did because you know as you said like it the teenage mutant ninja turtles is so anarchic like it, it was literally just whatever idea that they had that they yeah. just kind of threw in there mm. it's very sweet yeah because yeah. that's the thing it was it was a self-published comic they they published they published it all themselves so they didn't have like to deal with anything like any kind of like bigger higher up so kind of gives the artwork kind of this um, really unique look and vibe because um, it's obviously not as um, flashy and like slit looking as like a typical Marvel DC book but it's got this really charming rustic nature and it's what's really unique about it is Eastman Laird's collaborated on it together so the, the visual style is a melding of both their own art styles and which gives it that all the more distinctive look I feel yeah one thing I thought was really interesting, because there's a lot of self-contained stories, there's like little sort of mini-adventures, one-shots and stuff like that, but there is a strong sense of continuity between the stories. Like, the location of the Turtles is always kind of remembered between the comics. 
Like, mm. that Jack Kirby sort of one-shot uh, comic I mentioned, that has kind of nothing to do with the rest of the story. But, you know, the, the fact that the Turtles are staying with April O'Neil at this point is kind of still noted, and that's still part of the, the premise of that story as well. But obviously that location changes mm. as stories go along, do you know what I mean? They, they change from location to location. Yeah. Um, mm. Certain things are happening to certain characters, and that carries on. Like, eventually, they get a cat. Um, you know, it's just I like that there's a lot of development throughout. Yeah, it's not it's not just like um, you know a self-contained sort of like uh, thing like a SpongeBob episode. You know what I mean, it's an actual continuous story that you can follow as you read the comics, which is really lovely. Mm. Speaking of SpongeBob, with the Kirby episode being able to draw like people into real life, it just reminded me of that horrifying uh, SpongeBob clone that Sponge SpongeBob drew with a magic pencil oh. that was like, <laughs> drawing various uh, dangerous things and and uh, dropping a, a penciled in spanner on on Patrick's head. Or the little character that goes. La, 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 la. Yeah, <laughs> there's the leak, ma'am. <laughs> I love that episode. He's going through the door. <laughs> He's knocking on the door. He's going weird answering the door. And... He's beating up Squidward. One great example of what you're just saying about continuity is um, the Raphael one shot is where we first meet the character Casey Jones, who is basically this whack job vigilante who decides to be a vigilante because he watched loads of cop shows on TV and oh, decides, yeah. okay, I'm going to get a hockey stick and I'm going to beat the shit out of people. That's a brilliant. And it's a great issue. Yeah. It's a really fun comic. And you expect Raph um, Casey to be just one off character who never shows up again. And then, like a couple of years or so later, because the comics were—they didn't come out every month. They just came out like when Eastman and Laird were able to get them out. So, um, like Casey Jones just shows up in the main Ninja Turtles series when um, the Foot Clan have invaded Ninja Turtles' home. So, so it's just that, that nice little bit of continuity there. Yeah, of course. With Casey Jones, it's like uh, I like his origin story because, like, literally, I think they actually say it in the notes. We're just fed up of like superheroes having to have like their parents die or their planet blow up or whatever whereas with Casey Jones he just watched some like shows about cops or whatever and he's like you know what this town needs a real hero like me and he just gets a hockey thing and just goes and fights crime I think that's fantastic and also kind of believable I think if anyone's gonna go around with a hockey like a, a bar become a master vigilante that's probably how it's gonna happen <laughs> the, the, the series is a is both a loving homage and and a, and a riff off of like various superhero tropes like yeah. it, it just it's always making fun of like some of the dumber ideas in in various superhero canon like like the fact that like the very first thing that happens like basically uh in the story is that they all go to space <laughs> just oh, yeah. right yeah. off the bat i start the start of this um, dark kind of like gritty urban ninja story and then by issue three, you find out that there's these weird aliens with who are like pig brain things who live inside these in the chests of robots, mm. and then the turtles find them and end up going into space and fighting dinosaur aliens. It's Triceratons. Brilliant. Triceratons, yes. Yeah, that's brilliant. That. What? <laughs> like, just right off the bat, it just it just goes completely nuts when you think like, okay, concept is 
mutant ninja turtles so okay you think sewers you think ninjas i don't know maybe feudal japan nope we're going to space baby <laughs> but i just love that it all happens in one story arc because like they go from literally fight like fighting robots and losing martha splinter to suddenly encountering aliens to discovering dinosaur aliens being fighting in a space like gladiatorial arena and then just like being sent across the stars to meet what I want to say resembles the Krang. I think they're like these sort of like Krang. Aliens. Yeah, I think that's where they got the idea for the Krang call. But, but yeah, these are Utrons. Utrons. And yeah. interest, interesting. Even though they're sort of kind of more, more adversarial to the turtles, they actually aren't malicious. No. They're actually friends. They're actually allies of the turtles after everything that happens. Which is strange because in the cartoon they're like the evil alien from like Dimension X going Oh <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. Speaking of which the Shredder, he's in every other version of the Ninja Turtles he is like the big bad who the Ninja Turtles have to defeat. Watch out for Shredder! In this comic he's only shows up like like three times and heck in the first issue he gets killed. Yeah. He's but he gets, then he comes back. <laughs> then he comes back. But that's but yeah. the thing is, the the, the, the the artists actually note like, oh, we really didn't want to bring him back. And then I think they keep bringing it up like after every issue, like, oh, I don't know, like we don't want, we want we don't like the idea of villains always coming back. But then one issue, like, well, we kind of needed the turtles to do this, so we decided to bring him back for that. And it's just like, okay, it was more yeah. of an excuse to get the turtles out of New York for a bit. Yeah, I like what they did. Yeah. With it, though. That arc is one of my favourite arcs because it starts with the Leonardo one-shot issue. You get two stories going on, so you get this completely wordless story of Leonardo just running around the street, single-handedly fighting like Foot Ninja, which is very kind of Samurai Jack in some respects. Yeah. And then at the bottom of every page, you've got this other story going on, which is the other turtle, Splinter and April, getting ready for Christmas. And then we end the issue with both stories kind of coming together as Leonardo crashes through the roof of April's house, and then he's like, "Oh, the Shredder's back." Leo! Leo, what happened? Who did this to you? I'm gonna find out who did this. And then the next issue, um, we've got the Foot Clan just invading their home and like forcing them to retreat. And like because Leonardo, not only is Leonardo injured, but they've got to help April out. So that's another element yeah. that they've got to deal with. They end up being such a bad state they had to flee the city and go to Northampton, which is actually where um, Eastman and Laird are based. The reason they moved in there is because they wanted to try and. Um, write stories based in their hometown to see if um, the fans will be receptive to that. I really like the way the arc ends because it has this third issue. It's not a really big like action-packed issue. It's this more kind of slower-paced, mm. more kind of somber story where April's kind of just like reflecting on how this is a this event has affected the, the other characters. Like talks about and explores the mental state of everyone, how everyone's taking what's happened. Yeah. It's a very emotional sort of thing. It's not, there's not, it's no dialogue from, there's like no speech bubbles or anything like that. It's all kind of April's diaries and just kind of going into detail about mm -hmm. how each turtle's been affected by this. And it's, 
you know, some of the turtles are all kind of becoming reclusive, they're all divided. It's very somber, it's a very somber sort of tone to it. It does obviously end with a high note, but it's just like, it's kind of weird because every other comic before that had either the turtles kind of triumphing in the end or being kind of more upbeat. This is it was the most sort of bleak of the comics, I thought. Mm. Um, but I really enjoyed it for that. I, I love that they could tell a quite a serious story, make you really care for the characters that were mm. obviously meant to be a satire of characters that other people took seriously. They had kind of come into their own a little bit. They actually sort of evolved into these sort of characters that we can respect, almost like superheroes in a way. And you kind of root mm. for them. Well, yeah, the original like characters, like as, as first envisioned in the first comic, like they are fairly interchangeable it's only with various comics that we start to see the kind of the different personalities develop like i like the little details of donatello like fixing everything because he's like the like techie repair guy um little de little details like that and, and Raphael is you know the hothead there's there's just slowly they build yeah. on these kind of characters yeah like um Michelangelo later adaptations he's kind of more portrayed as like the practical joker whereas he kind of has that in the comics but he's more of kind of just like the kind-hearted one who likes comic books and action figures and likes making stories I love the relationship that Michelangelo and Raphael have because Raphael was like really protective of Michelangelo, which you see yeah. in some of the early fight scenes where he, whenever uh, Michael, someone comes after Michelangelo, Raphael was like, "Oh, stay away from my best friend," and just oh. wails on them. Yeah, no. Well, well Mike, Mike, Mikey's the youngest, isn't he? So, mm. and 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 Raphael's—he's not the oldest. He's like the second oldest, but he's he's quite yeah, he's quite protective. And Leonardo's the leader, and and. That get and he, that gets him into trouble with Raphael yeah. later on when um yeah uh, Raphael being the hot-headed that he is, is is frustrated by their inaction when when the when the foot return and Shredder comes back and and they exactly. and he demands that they go back and fight you know and he's and, uh, the kind of more like individualistic sort of turtle whereas like you know uh, Leonardo's like we gotta work as a team man you know we got uh, we can't win unless we're together. Um, whereas Raphael's kind of like more like, no, we, um, I'm going to take them on. I'm headstrong. I can do it alone. If you're not with me, then I'll do it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. In some ways, both characters do learn from each other because yes, there, there is a lot of inaction. And towards the end uh, of the, the comics we read, uh, Raphael does go out and you know, becomes brash and like headstrong and actually tries to take on the Shredder as well. And that inspires the other turtles to come with him. But also, as he fights along, he realizes he can't take him alone either. So you know, they both like kind of learn, build each other up in that respect. I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that that's in the Return to New York, which is mm. I think that's a good natural endpoint to the turtle story. But it ends in a way that leaves things open to more stories. And I think it's um, a big one because uh, we've had like nine or so issues. We're hanging around Northampton. We've got had these really fun kind of like one shot issues that don't have any like real major continuity them but they, they can just be ignored, enjoyed in their own rights yeah. and them have got this big story where they're, they're going back to finally defeat the shredder after he forced them into hiding and what i really like about that is it's leonardo who has the final confrontation with the shredder because um he's got a score to settle with shredder up because at their last encounter shredder absolutely kind of battered him and like knocked him out essentially so leonardo's kind of got 
um, more of a personal stake in that than mm. the other three, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's got to prove himself to Raphael as well, because Raphael calls him a coward at one point. You know, yeah. so there is there is that feeling of pride and you know, kind of defending his honor, which you know, is big big part of this is of course the ninjutsu stuff. Uh, he's got to defend his honor. He's got to you know, and uh, and and end what what Shredder began. You know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it's great. It is. Yeah, no. It... It's amazing how they combine so many different things. I mean, we've obviously mentioned the more comic booky stuff of the aliens and stuff like that, but there's also that sort of sense of ninja honor and stuff like that. There's a good, I want to say that there's probably like a Kurosawa influence going on here. Like there's, you can tell that the, you know, the creators love like ninja, like stories and stuff like that. Um, and it, it, you know, it's it does show, especially in that Michelangelo one shot we mentioned uh, earlier, where it's just like a bit of fiction that um, Michelangelo's written. Unlike a lot of like superhero comics and stuff like that, they embed a lot of like mythology and stuff like that. I think they try to add a sort of like I'm trying to think of the right, right way to start, describe it. But it reminds me of Samurai Jack a little bit, how they kind of try to create that Oriental mythological element to the storytelling. There's a lot of that going on, especially when uh, Master Splinter is telling his origin story. It feels like, you know, we're learning a, 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 an old tale from a ninja, do you know what I mean? If that makes sense? I don't know if I'm making much sense. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it, feel, it feels very feudal kind of Japan. Sense. Well, yeah, there you go. That's, yeah. Sorry. You're right. The story of Hamato Yoshi, um, uh, Splinter's master slash owner, because at the time Splinter's a little pet rat, um, that that whole story is very kurosawa like it is it's like you know oh this is a story from long ago there was a man he was in love with a woman and then mm. but then there was a an evil you know an evil figure called um was it roku or oroku nagi who's Shred shredder's brother o oroku nagi yeah um yeah you know so he, he had this rival in in the clan and 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 so they they battled and yoshi and and his wife escaped to america but then of course uh you know his brother found him and and defeated him and and uh and yeah no it's it's all very yeah that's that's like something that a, a samurai would cry like would shout about in <laughs> in a kurosawa <laughs> film um yeah, yeah no I, I can totally imagine it as you already know my master was a ninja of great power, one of the greatest practitioners of ninjutsu in many centuries. I was his pet rat, and I learned ninjutsu by mimicking his moves. For many years, I was happy. We were a family. But that life ended when the Shredder sent his foot ninja to attack my master. <laughs> battled honorably. But through their dishonorable ways, the foot ninja overpowered him. I know one character was called Toshiro um, when they met like a like a japanese american character or you know and i was thinking toshiro toshiro mifune from from seven samurai yeah that that's that's definitely a reference yeah so yeah little things like that are cool i think that kind of carries over to the fight scene because i think I remember reading in the notes in the um, 
the Ultimate Editions, where um, they talked about kind of um, they used to watch like martial arts scenes and use those for inspiration for the fight scenes, and that gives the, them a like a real energy, even though they're just static comic book panels. You get a, a feel for how energetic they are. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. No, definitely. There's definitely, like, I think they study choreography or something like that. Like, they, they study, like, you know, the, uh, um, they must study martial arts to a degree because the way they draw the characters, like, fighting and stuff like that, it does seem incredibly detailed. Um, yeah. Especially, like, every, um, like, the, movement of that. Oh, yeah, sorry. The thing is, they didn't actually, I think I remember reading in the books, they didn't actually study martial arts. They just watched martial arts movies <laughs> and the moves from that. Yeah. But, there's definitely there's definitely a Bruce Lee vibe to a lot of it. Like, yeah, you know, and yeah. I know that they referenced Bruce Lee as well because there's a character called Chang Lee, and he just looks exactly like Bruce Lee. So. <laughs> One uh, thing that I also want to bring up as well is that like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a concept has actually inspired a lot of different artists that uh, work in animation and stuff like that now today. Are you guys are you guys familiar with uh, Joan? I, I don't know if I say his name right, but Jonan Vasquez. He's the guy that made Invader Zim. Um, name sounds familiar. He, he I know in... Invader Zim, obviously. Yeah, he made Invader Zim. Before he did Invader Zim, he made this really wacky graphic novel called uh, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Um, and it was, but basically, it has the same kind of gritty style that you see in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, but he, his influence is like he, he's basically sung, sung praises about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles continuously. Uh, it got him into writing and drawing comics, and he's actually made some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics himself, uh, cartoons himself, uh, which Nickelodeon has since gone on to air as well. And uh, there's a lot of like Nickelodeon's actually put on their YouTube channel all these kind of like short animated things from other artists of the turtles, and that you can see all these like shorts with this, like the different art styles and everything, just depicting turtles having all these crazy adventures. So again, it goes back to what I was saying. They are highly adaptable um, sort of like, you know, a creation that can like be shown in different medias. And I think that's really cool. One thing I really enjoyed reading the original comics, which by the way, audience, you can find all of them online for free. They have all just been scanned on online. Like they're very old comics. No one cares. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but one thing I really enjoyed about that, about reading these old comics, literally from the 80s, is that they're little time capsules of of like 80s uh comics of like yeah. the 80s comic in industry and you get all these brilliant adverts uh for all of these weird comics that like were you know being released in like adjacent to the the turtles and you get some really weird ones i think there was one called like was it like pterosaurs or something um and it's oh, like all of these dinosaurs with like big big weapons it looks great. And there's another one called um, Flaming Carrot, who's literally just a guy with a big carrot for head, and he actually crossed over with the turtles. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of crossovers. There's a lot of fun little, you know, interesting stories that they kind of mess around with. I actually really liked the uh, the Carabus um, episode. I know Carabus, the creator, is evil, but, like, the actual comic itself was a lot of fun. Oh, I thought it was um, Cerebus. Cerebus, Cerebus yeah. I don't know. Cerebus, Carabus, whatever. Mm. It's, it's written. <laughs> yeah. he, Cerebus was, um, Cerebus was one, cut out of the cartoon. There's one issue I want to talk about, which is one of my favourites. It's called The Survivalists, which is about the turtles. They're kind of, it starts with them having a picnic, and then they end up trying to stop a group of crazy right-wingers from setting off a nuclear bomb. And their, their plan is basically they want to ignite the nuclear war with Russia, 
and they want to um so they want to prove how good they are at surviving what i like that issue is because we get to see the turtles using stealth to take out their foes which is something we don't get to see all too often then we get to see them use their unique kind of abilities they have due to being like amphibious yeah. like one particularly cool moment that sticks out to me is um where some of the turtles are hiding underwater, disguise themselves as large stepping stones because they're able to breathe underwater and stay on there for ages. And then when these crazy right-wing thug thugs come along with their guns, the turtles just burst out of the water and just attack them. Yeah, it's definitely the most 80s story. This is the thing, like, with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I mean, that comic in particular you mentioned, they're literally just having a picnic, aren't they? And then just all of a sudden, they're just roped into this massive adventure that could start World War Three. And it's like, okay, like literally, I don't know, they'd be walk. Like, I think there's a, uh, like, you know, the first kind of said they just bump into aliens, do you know what I mean? I get the fact that they're mutant turtles, but the, the way crazy stuff happens around them is just peculiar. <laughs> like, they, they, live in a, they live in a world where Jack Kirby is apparently just writing up various magical yeah. characters from his and he princess, happens so, yeah. And he happens to be staying in the same apart, the same building as him, so you know. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So there you go. That's mm. that's just the beauty of the turtles universe. Yeah. 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 After they finished with the Return to New York story, they finished off the first volume of the Turtles with um, this big long story called City at War, mm. which is basically about the fallout of Shredder's death, where the the Foot Clan are kind of like in a war with, with each other over New York, and the Shredder's daughter comes in. She assists the Turtles, and she basically gives them a kind of like the deal was basically you need to help us have a kind of like a peaceful kind of transition and then we'll kind of um, leave you alone we won't attack you anymore basically mm. and then after that they did a second volume which was written by a guy called Jim Lawson and um, he that only lasted like 13 issues because this is when the, the Turtles was in decline and also Mirage Studios had a flood at their offices but then yeah. Image Comics who are the guy company made spawn they did a third volume which was done by a guy called gary carlson and drawn by frank fosco and this was designed to bring the turtles back to their kind of more gritty roots and had like a lot more kind of 90s violence and gore and it was noticeable because it disfigured three of the four turtles in some way so Raphael got his face scarred leonardo lost a hand and then dionatello became a cyborg this running did after 23 issues in 1999 but there are three more issues planned but i think what's cool is in 2018 idw the current like rights holders for comics re-released them in colour and then they got the original writer and artist to come back and do the last three issues. Mm, I need to read this run because it does sound really cool to be fair. Like, it, it sounds like it's a, uh, it's a different take on the Turtles, it's a bit more darker. So I'll have to check it out. After that, I think there was a full volume which ignores the events of Volume 3, which is done by Peter Laird by himself. Yeah. And this one is... I've not actually read any of this one because it's um, I've not really um, sorted it out because it's not really been printed anywhere else. But basically, uh, skits fall in time, and it features the turtles in their 30s, and aliens have come to Earth, so the turtles are able to walk around freely. And this run was, um, it's, it ran from 2001 until 2009, when Peter there just sold all the rights to Ninja Turtles to Nickelodeon. Yeah. Do we uh, want to talk about the movie? Can I talk about one thing? Because this this will si sink into the, the movie, because it, re it relates to it. Let's first talk about uh, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Yes! Um, <laughs> So, in the UK, um, during the Thatcher years, um, everyone was going insane uh, because it was the Thatcher years. But also, um, there was a bit of a moral hysteria, uh, mainly led by Mary Whitehouse, who was a, a conservative crank who basically threw a hissy fit about any kind of sex or violence on TV. She threw Especially a hissy Doctor fit who. about what? 
Yeah, one, one second of Tom Baker drowning was enough for her to be, like, freaking out. It's literally one second of footage, and he he's fine. It just looks like he's drowning for a second. <laughs> anyway, so she was a, a weird crank who, like, spent a, the better part of, like, several decades complaining about the BBC. And But one of the things that the, the Brit, uh, British media had a really big freakout about was anything related to ninjas. I don't know why. They just they just decided one day that uh, children were going to try and make themselves their very own nunchucks. Um, this is true. I'm not even joking. This is real. They actually just decided, yeah, no, children are going to figure out how to make nunchucks and hit each other with them. And, um, and so any reference to nunchucks, any reference to ninjas was just completely scrubbed from not just Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but like a lot of adult films as well. Um, it was a really bizarre time. Like we had the, the censors, censorship board then called the BBFC. Um, yeah. And they, they would do like all the ratings of films. And they used to cut and edit like films in really quite savage ways. Uh, a good example of this being TMNT, where they cut one minute and 51 seconds from the film. Um, so a substantial amount of time. Mm. Uh, so anyway, that's a good way to sink into uh, the movie, I guess. Which um, they mm. actually... So there's a, there's a song in that called Turtle Power. Uh, they removed any reference to ninjas in that as well. It's... Oh, it's nuts. <laughs> it's just, yeah, no, I don't get that. I mean, mm. there was always a bit of a weird... I personally didn't think the film was that violent, in my opinion. I didn't think... I mean, I thought, okay, there's a little bit of action, but it wasn't violent. I don't know, like... It's it's not. It's yeah, not. It's, it's very yeah, kid-friendly. It's, it's very kid-friendly. I think, I think the reason is because at the time... The big turtles thing was rather than the comics was the cartoon which is much more kid friendly is ba basically um it was to ninja turtles what the 1960s batman was to batman comics basically yeah and this movie is yeah in comparison it's not as dark as the comics but it is still a pretty faithful adaptation of the comics but it does kind of soften it a bit so yeah it's a pg movie so it's not like super unsuitable for kids but yeah, it is compared to the like it makes the cartoon look like um, Teletubbies, basically. It kind of just made me think like, what if Barney the dinosaur got given a like pair of weapons one day and started to live in a sewer? Because they look like they do look like little Barney the dinosaur characters in this movie. Rob, you say that the UK was fine with the cartoon. They weren't. Like we said, they were called the Teenage Mutant yeah. Hero Turtles. This is true. And and they removed any. Uh, nunchucks yeah. in that as well. Yeah. So they, they yeah, just freaked I out the, the whole thing. I mean, the US, like, oh yeah, well yeah. yeah, the US loved ninjas. The Americans went crazy for anything samurai or ninja related throughout the seventies and eighties, but, but and and nineties. But they did try to sort. They got a bit uh, funny about this movie, though. That's why there's less violence in the later movies as well. Um, they actually, yeah, because yeah. Uh, they sh they showed it to playmates who made the toys. And they were. I can imagine them being they impressed. Didn't want, they didn't want anything to do with the movie. They didn't even make wow. any toys for the movie. They they were convinced this the movie was going to bomb. And then at the time, it became the most successful independent film of, of all time. So, uh, so then, when the second movie came out, they made new figures that were based on the movie versions of the turtle. Yeah, yeah it is, it is quite it is interesting. Like the fact that April looks 
very much like how she looks in the original comics as opposed to like the yellow jumpsuit that she wears in the cartoon mm. and um the other thing was um uh splinter's origin story uh which i mentioned you know with the cartoon it's like it's a guy it's yoshi but he turns into a rat man whereas in the in the original comics he's just the pet of yoshi who um is like like he's he's like practicing martial arts and then like little little rat splinter is teaching himself martial arts in the most adorable way and and then of course he witnesses the murder as my master returned home to find his beloved shin lying on the floor and then he saw her killer saki wasted no words and during the struggle, my cage was broken. I leapt to Saki's face, biting and clawing, but he threw me to the floor and took one swipe with his katana, slicing my ear. Then he was gone. So I suppose, like, you know, I guess that's quite a dark story, but they, you know, they did it in the film. So fair play to the movie for, you know, like, I guess, respecting children's intelligence and realizing that, like, kids know what, violence and death is yeah. i always find that weird when they censor that yeah. in like children's media like mm. kids know that people die yeah <laughs> it, that, was, that was a thing in like 90s cartoons like the 90s like marvel cartoons like x-men and spider-man they'd always like say destroy rather than kill or die mm. so like destroy spider-man rather than kill Sp i'm gonna kill spider-man well, and even stupid i was um the Sinister Six weren't allowed to be called the Sinister Six. I forget. I think they were the called Insidious the Insidious Six. Six. Yeah. But yeah, um, back to Ninja Turtle. I think while the movie is not a straight up retelling of the comic, it takes certain story beats from issues of the comics and uses yeah. them to tell a unique story. Like the whole story where the turtles like get um, forced out of their home by the Foot Clan and having to move to Massachusetts. Um, that's adapted pretty much beat for beat in the movie. I think the only real big change is that. They switch out the turtles, so some Raphael gets beaten up rather than Leonardo. Mm. And then they end the movie with kind of like a redone version. It's kind of got parallels to the fight at the end of the first issue. Yeah. about who or what this is? I don't know, but I'll better never ask to look for a can opener. <laughs> you fight well in the old style, but you've caused me enough trouble. Now you face the Shredder. The Shredder? <laughs> uh, maybe all that hardware's for making coleslaw. One thing I want to kind of bring up as well with because uh, you mentioned that like you know the movie itself is not like a fully it, it does get some things right about the comics but it's not a full retelling if you know what i mean it's not completely up to the you know it's not 100 percent accurate the teenage mutant ninja turtles is probably one of the most reworked and re like you know adapted sort of thing i've probably ever encountered like you know the original comics has inspired so many cartoon shows and movies and they're all different from each other in some shape or form, like cartoon shows and movies. And they're all different from each other in some shape or form. Like April O'Neil has been like depicted as being like a reporter, um, a, a lab assistant, um, a, a, a high school student. Like she's literally been everything across the board. 
Um, the turtles themselves are always different across media as well. The Krang, as I mentioned, you know, uh, as we discussed, like the their original counterpart in the comics, the name's something completely different, and they're the good guys. So it, I just find it very interesting. In fact, Shredder also doesn't, you know, he doesn't appear too much in the comics, but across other things, he's everywhere. He's like the Joker to the Batman for these guys. And in 2003, yeah. in the 2003 cartoon, Shredder was a neutron. Yeah, no, exactly. But this is what I mean. Like, it literally, it's the most kind of reworked thing. Like, that they can reinvent the turtles and always have a new, unique spin for them. And, like, literally, there's so many different things. And Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles is a more upbeat sort of thing in comparison to the more serious shows. I just like how mm. it's been this continuous retold and reimagined sort of piece of media. I really love that. There's different... Everyone's, That's what I like. Yeah. Is I like that there's so many different versions of the Turtles that mm. if, even if there's if a version you don't like, it doesn't matter because there's going to be, like, so many different versions you might like. Although there is some stuff I do laugh about because there's a point in the 90s where... I think they'll just sign off on anything, Ninja Turtles. So we got some right stinkers. Like, we got... don't know if you guys know about this, but the Coming Out of Their Shells tour, which was this um, stage musical with where the Turtles were in a band and they'd, like, play these really, really awful songs. Pizza power, a flying saucer food delight. Pizza power, oh, that's what makes us feel all right. I have heard of this. And I think the low point is this point where some guy in the um, dress of Splinter comes out and sings a song about skipping stones. But it, it does have a story. The story is the Shredder. He wants to get rid of music and he hates music so much he performs a rap about how much he hates music. The gift of song is the gift that curse. I hate music. But the best bit, I think, is this bit where um, this guy in the Shredder costume is just um, roasting kids in the audience. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, amazing. Haven't you seen enough of those turtles? the lowest of the lows for the turtles is they did these straight to vhs oh god we're old um be yeah, straight to vhs specials with these really really dodgy turtle costumes the first one was called we wish you a turtle christmas which is the plot was the turtles trying to find a christmas present for splinter and it ends with an awful um, turtles rendition of the 12 days of christmas on the fifth day of christmas the turtles gave to me But the worst was this one called Turtle Tunes, which is turtles making music videos of their own versions of public um, public library songs. So stuff like um, Yankee Doodle Dandy or whatever the song was, is now Leonardo Had a Rowboat. Leonardo, row, 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 you 
turn is like Michelangelo, I'd love to skate around the fountain or on top of a pizza all covered in cheese. Oh god, I'm googling this right now. This looks the most it looks like Five Nights of Five Nights at Freddy's or something. This is horrifying. Yeah, it's the worst turtle suits imaginable. Like in Ninja Turtles 3, they stopped using the Jim Henson suits, and those suits look horrendous. But compared to the suits they used for Turtle Christmas and Turtle Tunes, they look like the most state-of-the-art Stan Winston animatronics. They look so scary. Sorry, I'm just looking at a picture. Like it looks like it's staring into my soul. Ah. Well, one criticism of the movie is Leonardo gets established as the Carmelo Doubt leader, and Raphael is established as the impulsive, angry one. But then Michelangelo and Donatello are kind of in the background and they don't really, they seem kind of more interchangeable. Yeah. I guess the yeah. issue is that with you've got to focus on like a specific kind of protagonist's like, you know, character arc. You've got to give the audience something beyond just like them kind of goofing about or like fighting people. So, you know, you, you've got like Michelangelo and Donatello kind of make sense as like the comic relief characters. How you doing? Hi. Nice night. Mm hmm. Pizza dude's got 30 seconds. Um, you know, as opposed to like Raphael, who's kind of the focus of the film, really. Yeah, no, I agree. I do like. And I also think um, Casey Jones was adapted and portrayed perfectly in the film. Yeah. He's the perfect mixture of badass and dumbass, like yeah. he is in the comics. And also, I want to highlight my favourite line of the movie, which is in the bit where Raphael and um, Casey first meet. Casey originally has like uh, using his hockey sticks and then he decides to bring out a cricket bat. And Raphael was just like, um, cricket? No one understands cricket. You've got to know what a crumpet is to understand cricket. <laughs> it's very funny. Well, good game, Roundhead. Cricket. Cricket? Nobody understands cricket. You gotta know what a crumpet is to understand cricket. Yeah, I think Casey Jones is one of the things I did actually like really like about the movie. It's weird how I could just sort of recognise chunks of the comic seeping into the movie. One minute I'd be like, oh, this is a bit goofy. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like, it literally looks like page from page from the comic in the movie. It was just like, ah. That's what the director did. Um, yeah. The director was a guy called Steve Barron. One of the things he also directed was the music video for Aha's Take On Me. Yeah. But he basically, I think he got, um, was it a colour paperback which contained issues of the comics? Mm. I, what he did was he looked through and put like um, post it notes on certain issues and were like, yep, that's the movie, and then kind of used that as his basis. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, yeah, what's like a good entry point for people coming into this? Like, I, I enjoyed the, um, the 2012 cartoon. Um, I thought that was quite a cool, like, you know, like I... a modern rejigging yeah. of it. I actually yeah. think the 2012 cartoon, to be fair, is really, really good. Like, in fact, yeah. it's... Yeah. Yeah, there's some bits that are really disturbing as well, like the, the mutant... Yeah. I mean, have you seen the way they, like, when the mutagen gets spilt on the human, it looks like something out of John Carpenter's The Thing. Like, mm, just literally yeah. tentacles spewing out of a human going, ah! Leonardo's a leader in blue, does anything it takes to get his stitches through. Donatello is a fellow, has a way with machines. Raphael's got the most attitude on the Michelangelo, he's one of a kind, and he noticed where to find it with his party time. That's a splinter time of every single skill they need to be one lead, need, greedy, critical team. Got a 
really cool voice cast because you've got Mae Whitburn, who was Katara in Avatar, and she was um, Roxy in Scott, the Scott Pilgrim movie. Hmm. She voices April O'Neil, who's a 16-year-old April O'Neil. We've got Josh Peck, who plays Casey Jones, and we've got Sean Astin, aka Samwise Gamgee, as Raphael. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> These are all good good points. I, I liked that um, it had that kind of more appropriate for kind of teenagers um, uh, vibe to it. You know, it was definitely made more for like 12 to 14 year olds, I guess. Like, whereas the original cartoon from the, the 80s and 90s was, was very much like clearly for, for younger kids. Um, it just seemed to get the tone of the comics better like where it's still kid friendly and fun but it's got a bit more like as you said james it, it is quite scary at some points but it's cool like it, it's yeah and at one point at one point they referenced um uh the skeleton fight scene in uh, jason and the argonauts yeah. like they actually which i thought was really cute um yeah. there's little yeah. little details like that i noticed and i was going oh these the animators have had fun with this one so i i, I enjoyed that yeah I also really liked the 2003 cartoon because that one actually adapted issues from the comics. I did them quite differently because, of course, it's more kid-friendly, but it is one of the more, um, thinks it, um, accurate adaptations of those comics, which I think was helped because Peter Laird kind of oversaw it on the first couple seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, yeah, no, because Peter Laird was actually deeply involved in the creative process. He said he was talking about the original... Um, TV show from the 80s, 90s, and he just said that it was charming, but it wasn't the turtles that he made. You know what I mean? Whereas the 2003 one is a bit more of a, a, a you know loyal adaptation to the original comics, and it does it quite nicely. It still has that sort of like you know detailed, shadowy elements of the series, um, and it's yeah. It, it also feels a bit more like Daredevil. I think there's a very real Daredevil vibe to that show in particular. It stands out from the rest. I mean, yeah, I really and, like that. yeah, and also it takes the Donatello Jack Kirby story and makes an episode about it, yeah. so it gets points for that as well. I don't think there's ever been a single animated adaptation of Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles that I've disliked, though. I think I've liked, in some, to some degree, to varying degrees, I have liked every single Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle animated adaptation, even the 80s and 90s show is kind of charming and it's weird it's it's, cheesy. it's really cute it is yeah. cute yeah, yeah it's, it's silly but and also again i love the 2003 show the 2012 show even a new show that came out not too long ago i think it was... oh rise of the teenage yeah. and ninja turtles yeah i've i've not seen that but i've heard good things and what from what i've seen the animation looks amazing that's what i was about to say it looks like the best animated teenage mutant ninja turtles thing i've ever seen like the opening introduction is just like in just unbelievable like if you watch that it looks like every frame is just fluid and it's all done in one shot it's just oh my god um and it looks it's very gorillas inspired as well it looks kind of like you know uh they took like a bit of inspiration from that in particular which is why they look a bit zangy and sort of punky oh yeah will do. hey yo guys how about we take the glowy ones do we want to talk about our favorite turtles at all or yeah, of course. That'd be a really good question to end on, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, who wants to go first? Favorite turtle? I'll go first. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Cool. So, Donatello is my favorite, um, simply because he's just like you know. I feel like he's the most underappreciated turtle. Not a lot of people like Donatello, but he's 
Definitely the smartest. Uh, I like how he's portrayed in each adaptation, particularly the 2012 show. I like his um, how he's treated in that show in particular. I just like the idea that he's kind of like this sort of uptight, sort of nerdy, like, oh, I'm the smart one. But also sometimes he's a bit of an idiot himself. And, you know, he's still a turtle himself. He's still a bit of a uh, laid-back guy who loves pizza and everything, just like the other three. Um, and, but yeah, no, like... He's the brains, but he's also kind of this, a bit socially awkward as well. Um, he's got his little stick and everything. Yeah, no, so I think Don I think that's, that might be why he's not as appreciated. I think that might be because of his weapon choice being a stick. Really? Oh, I thought that stick was cool, like the way... like. Mm, yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, but when you've got people like swords and nunchucks, it does kind of... Yes, um, think some people will gravitate towards those more than the stick. I suppose so, but you know, you can get by with a stick. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I just knew that James's favourite one would be Donatello. I knew it. Okay, so <laughs> I, I just <laughs> why? Oh, because he's a nerd and you're a nerd. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so mine is Michelangelo. It did used to be Raphael because he was the edge the angry one yeah. but over the past few years I started to warm towards more, more towards Michelangelo because I kind of went into this a bit earlier but later iteration of Train Mikey as basically the practical Joker which is kind of in the comics but here he's shown to be kind of just the kind hearted one which is something I relate to because I'm I feel that that's, um, Michelangelo is probably the turtle that embodies me the most I, tend, I, I do kind of sometimes gravitate towards characters I relate to and um, also like that he likes to write stories in his spare time which is a cool character and I think that's something that got um, kind of carried over into the comics as they went on into like volumes three and four yeah yeah I know yeah I agree with that Raphael he's mean but he's cool or something like that that's um, the song right um, <laughs> Raphael, I know he's no sorry he's, he's cool but, but he's um, rude cool but crude yeah right <laughs> I like Raphael he's angry um He's got the he's got the most to prove. I feel like he he's always, I think, because he's got like his wise master Splinter, who's like you know all about you know finding inner peace or whatever. Yeah. And Raphael's the hothead, so he he's the one who struggles the most with like, you know, the more passive parts of ninjutsu and and martial arts. And I I quite like that conflict. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's good to have a character like that in in the dynamic. The one yeah. who's like the wild card and kind of, you know, where where everyone else is coming out with like plans. He's just the one who who um, uh, what's um Leroy Jenkins? Uh, Leroy Jenkins? It? You know? Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> just just jumps into the action. Doesn't doesn't think. Just like, you know, don't think. Just do. Um, which is always a cool character to have. So I quite liked Raphael. Like he oh, came across the strongest to me, like reading the comics. Yeah. Poor Leonardo. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so right, yeah. I think we're we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find all of our previous episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. We've done episodes on stuff like Scott Pilgrim. We've done episodes on Samurai Jack and done some video game episodes like we've done Spyro Dragon. And our last episode was on Tomb Raider. Um, and we also have a website, which is bluecast.com, which is another place you can find all of our episodes. And on social media, we're at bluecastpod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So be sure to follow us on there and keep updated with what we're doing and when we're getting new episodes out. 
And if you want to get a shout out in the future episodes, we have an email address, which is bluecastoutlook.com. So you can send us any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. And that's, and also please um, check us out on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. And please share it around to friends and family um, who you think might be interested. Yeah, so thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, and before we go, Ewan, can you tell our audience what we are discussing in the next episode? We're on the edge of greatness, turning darkness to light. We're right beside you, ready to fight. We're... Oh, wait, hang on, I can do this. We're gonna win in the end. Anyway, uh, we're doing She-Ra. Yeah. The old Netflix show. Uh, it's, yeah. I'm excited. It's... As, as you may have gathered, I like this one. Uh, I may have watched <laughs> the intro every time. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah we're doing she um, of Power. Yeah, I've started watching it recently, and I've been getting into it, so I'm excited to get through more of it and discuss it next month. I've watched the first episode, and I was impressed. I shall watch the rest of it some point yes. I'm very glad because I was the one who recommended this one so I was terrified that like Rob and James are going to be like what <laughs> so nah, I'm glad. nah it's alright <laughs> I'll enjoy it until next time the cost bids you farewell Bye-bye. bye 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 I'm going to miss those wannabes yeah I kind of dug the initials on the belt buckles huh you would I could go for a slice though there's that place on Bleecker we are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We strike hard and fade away.